You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. You know, we are in a series uh, called Before the Throne, and we are talking about prayer. Um, And I just felt led this morning before we... We jump into the message before we, we get down to things um, to just start this morning with prayer. I know we've, we've, we've already prayed. We've already prayed several times, but um, there's something in, important, I believe, in, in just opening our hearts for the Lord to speak. Um, so let me, let me pray with us this morning. Father, before we take any further steps in this day, God, Lord, as we unpack this idea and this beautiful thing that we call prayer. Father, I pray for every heart in this room. I pray for every weary heart. I pray for every every heart that is wrestling with doubt. Lord, and I pray that as we see that in Jesus that we have been given access to boldly approach the throne of grace. God, that you would, you would encourage those to know that our words are heard. God, that as we pray, Lord, that powerful things happen. So God, we, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today that it wouldn't be Matt, but it would be your word doing what it's intended to do. So Father, we we surrender this time to you. We pray you would have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Hope you guys are having a great day. Um, We're gonna jump into this series. We've been been talking about prayer for the last couple weeks, and we're gonna wrap up next week. Um, But um, not to brag or anything, but I can run faster than my kids. Um, I know, it's kind of a big deal, right? Um, make t-shirts. But uh, I, I want to talk about speed for just a moment because I, I was looking up some, some world records uh, of fast. Uh, any motorcycle riders in the room? Okay, we've got a couple. Um, imagine going 274 miles an hour on a motorcycle. Because that is, a, <laughs> like, come on. That, this, picture, this doesn't even look like a motorcycle at that point. That's a glorified, like, rocket ship or something. Um, the world speed record for the fastest motorcycle was set on this guy, 274 miles an hour. But let's go a little bit faster. How about the fastest on land? The record speed, uh, land speed record by Andy Green was 763 miles an hour in this thing. It looks like Batmobile on steroids, does it not? Like that, I don't, can you call that a car? It looks like it should belong in Star Wars, first off. Um, but 763 miles an hour, but that doesn't even touch the fastest that a human has traveled. Okay. The, the fastest that a human has traveled was actually set 46 years ago and the record still stands. It was, uh, by three astronauts on Apollo 10, uh, as a mission that they, they went, they didn't land on the moon. They went around the moon and on the slingshot back, uh, these three men went 2,000, sorry, 24,790 miles an hour. 
Talk about speed, right? 24,000 miles an hour. Teenagers, do not use this as justification for your driving habits to your parents, okay? It's not that fast. 24,000 miles an hour. So if they were to, to travel across or around the globe, it would take them uh, just about an hour to make one trip all the way around the world. Now, when we talk about things like the speed of light, um, things start getting squirrely because we're like 186,000 miles per second. You're like, Matt, where are you going with this? Trust me. 186,000 miles per second that every second it goes around the earth seven times. So if, if, if we were to have a, a foot race, right? Rocket ship, these guys, 24,000 miles an hour, uh, speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, uh, go around the globe for an hour. Let's just set a timer, right? On your mark, set, go. In that same hour, they would go around the globe once. Speed of light would go around 27,000 times. That's fast, right? Now, why, why do I talk about this? Because uh, in, in space, we, we measure things not in meters or inches or miles. We, we measure it in light years. So like you hold a flashlight for a year and the distance that that light travels, like that's our measuring stick, right? So that's, that's like seven or sorry, nine trillion something miles is the light stick. Now, if you've been following the, 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 um, the telescope that we threw into space, that's like a million miles from Earth, taking all these crazy pictures. They found the furthest star that they've ever found before this week. Uh, they called it, um, what was the name for it? Uh, the name was, totally just lost it. Arendelle, that's right. And I got a picture of it for you to see. You see it? If you think it's a big shiny one, it's not. All right, you, you, it's really actually unimpressed. Uh, show the next picture. There it is. Wow, right? It's a little tiny red dot. That's it. Like that's, that's, I didn't even notice that little ring was there when they zoom in. They, they realize that this, this star they think is 28 billion light years away. That's pretty far for, for those of us that are like, what? Um, that's really, really, really far. This, this star that they, they found is 28 billion times nine trillion miles. That, that's a number that's really, really big. Okay, your phones can't add that up. Now that's really, really far away. Now why do I talk about this? Like we, we, we can't get there, we can't see it, we can see this image, but as we're talking about prayer, I wanna I want read two verses from Isaiah 55 just to give us some context before we pray. In, in light of stars and galaxies that are billions of light years away. The Lord's speaking to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, and he says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. God is saying, you guys are, are traveling 23 miles an hour on planet earth and, and, and God's talking in, in light years. God's talking that, that the thing that he created is measured by the width of his hand, that, that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that God's ways are greater than our ways. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
meaning that we, we've got to zoom out for just a second and see that the way that God thinks and that God operates is not even on a similar playing field with you and I, okay? My intention is to not make us feel dumb. My intention is for us to just see how awesome God is, right? Like we're, we're, we're over here and I know this isn't just for kids and teenagers. We all think we're experts on our own situation, on our own condition, on what we need. But when we approach God, especially in prayer, we need to realize that God's ways are not like your ways. That God's thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts, it can't even be compared. It, it's, it's not even remotely similar or close. And with that in mind, what we have to realize is one, the first thing if you're taking notes today, is how we approach God matters, right? How we approach God matters. We, we looked at this last week in Matthew chapter six. We talked about this, this posture that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer, that it's not a, a formula or certain words we're supposed to say a certain number of times when you're on one knee, when you're doing whatever, your eyes closed. It, it's not a formula. It gives us an indication of a posture, that it's a posture we're supposed to take up, that we see that he's our father, that he's, he's our heavenly father, that he provides for his children, that he's in heaven, that he's, he's seated on a throne that can't be shaken, that he is holy, he's different than anything else we could ever imagine. And, and through this Lord's Prayer, we, we looked at this posture, but um, I know for myself, probably not you because you guys are holy, um, I, I've often come to God with my list. Everyone got your list? The list of things that, that God just forgot about or God needs to do. Like, all right, Lord, I don't, I don't know if you forgot or not, but let me remind you, here's what I need. And here's where I need you to move and here's whose hearts I need you to change because I can't stand them. Uh, Lord, bless them. Bless their hearts. So we can say that in the South, right? Um, and we can come to God with our list. And prayer for us is very transactional. But prayer was not intended to be transactional, it's intended to be relational. And so how we approach God deeply, deeply matters. It's not just about the results, it's about the relationship. And, and prayer shouldn't be our, our last resort. We've tried everything else, and so now we're like, all right, Lord, now I need you to fix it. We should be inviting God into the blueprints, into the design, into the, the dreaming and imagining of, of, of our life, of our plans, of our situations. That we allow him to speak into the beginning of it, not just when we've messed it up and we need him to fix it. It's, it's highly relational. Um, I, I have three kids, my daughter who's seven. My wife and I have not given her the responsibility of managing our retirement fund, okay? We're not taking her advice like, hey, what should we do? Should we invest into real estate? Like, what, what's, what's, our, what's our strategy here, right? We don't let her steward our, our finances for our home and to determine what gets purchased and what doesn't. Why? Because she would spend it all on nail polish and glittery things, right? And I can't stand glitter. No, she would, because her priority list is a lot different. She doesn't think about things like electricity or gas or water or insurance. That's a fun thing to buy, right? Uh, or the worst is buying tires for your car. Like that's never like a, I can't wait till these ones run out. It's like, I just dropped $700 on rubber. Um, but we haven't given her that 
that authority because why? Her understanding is limited. She's seven. It'd be dumb for me to trust her with it, right? Be real with us, okay? How many times do we come to God as the expert of our situation when he's the author of life? He flung things off of his fingertips that are 28 billion light years away, and he knows everyone by name. And we're like, God, trust me on this. Who are you talking to, right? So how we approach God should deeply, deeply matter. It's about trusting him. It's about knowing him. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to jump ahead. So, so Jesus, last week we talked about, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us an example of how to pray. He talks about praying, talks about fasting, talks about not doing it when you find yourself on the street corner, uh, or these big lofty prayers that you're trying to impress people, but it's the heart that matters. And then he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, and then he goes back to prayer. So obviously it's, it's worth repeating. He, he, he talks more about prayer because it's important. And this is what we see Jesus teaching in Matthew 7, verse 7. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Sometimes the dads, let's be honest, because we joke around a lot. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, he's saying, hey, keep on asking and you receive what you ask for. Now, you have to do a show of hands, but if we're being honest this morning, right? We're being honest. How many times have you prayed for something that didn't happen? How many times have you begged God and pleaded with God? You kept asking, and it didn't happen. How do, we, how do we reconcile with this verse? How do we reconcile with the things that we've asked God for over and over and over again, and we feel like God hears everybody else, and he doesn't hear me? Like, what, what's the equation? Is it if we ask enough times? If we, if we ask a certain way? If we, if we do certain things? How do we reconcile that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we can ask anything in his name and we'll receive it? But yet, there's, there's, even in this verse, there's, there's repetition with that. There's, and, and I don't understand how prayer fully works. And anybody who does, I'm like, mm, do you really? Right? Like we, 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 we understand the promises that we have. We understand the access that we have through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We understand that. But what's the moment in which God finally works and moves and God finally, God intervenes, God provides things for his children that God does those things? Where is the, the turning point in it? Because we see this pattern, we see like, Everyone who asks, um, they receive it. Um, so secondly, how we approach God matters, but the second thing is how we respond in the middle is what matters also. How we respond in the middle matters. Because here's the moment when we pray and pray and pray, and then within our timetable that God doesn't answer that prayer. Unfortunately, this is the moment in which a lot of people... Um, 
either fail to see God's goodness or they walk away from the Lord. And in this, we see promises. We see that anyone who asks receives. If you don't think anyone's listening, you don't ask a question. If you don't think there's something to find, you don't seek. And you don't go knock on walls, you knock on doors. Why? Because doors have the ability to be open, correct? So he's saying, if we, if we approach, if we're asking, we're seeking, that we're knocking, we're praying consistently. Here's one of the most beneficial things that I, I, I can think of is that we would pray until something happens that we would keep praying and praying and praying until something happens. And a lot of times in my own prayers, the thing that happened is not what I asked God to do. But the thing that happened was God changed me. And God changed my heart. And God changed the way that I saw a situation. Now that's, that's not some kind of like spiritual cop-out to say, well, God didn't do it and he just changed me and changed my desires. No, like the goal of this is relationship, right? The goal of this is to, is to be transformed, that we would do it until something changes, whether we pray until our situation changes or we pray until our desire and our heart and our motives and everything else changes. So what we have to do is, if we find ourselves at a crossroads where we've been praying and praying and praying and we don't see the fulfillment of that, what do we need to do? We need to ask ourselves some questions, right? Always self-evaluation is good. One, the first thing is this. Am I asking for something that goes against his character? Am I asking God to do something that is against God's character? God does not have off days. God's not like, I wasn't feeling my best yesterday. No, no, no. God is consistent. God doesn't change. God is true. God is holy. God is good. God doesn't change. And so if we are asking God to do something that goes against his character, guess what? He's not going to do it. Because he's God, right? Like God's, God's not going to be like, well, he's asked 37 times now. Maybe I could just turn my, like, no. God is not going to bless your crooked business deal. He's just not. God is not going to, to bless your ungodly relationship. God is not going to bless that way that you got by with doing your taxes. That it's like, hmm, really? Like God, God is not going to bless that because God's character is who he is. God is true. And he's not going to do things that are inconsistent with that. This, is, this, this may be elementary, so bear with me. But one of the easiest ways I explain this with teenagers, when we talk about, like, what is the will of God? It's like, is it this mysterious, like, X on a treasure map that we've got to do the right things, walk through certain tunnels, and, and find the, the spot and then 10 seconds later, the spot's moved. And so we got to constantly find the will of God. Um, but it, it's kind of like if you've ever uh, walked somebody with an umbrella, or if you've had kids and you've tried to walk your kids with an umbrella, right? They want to hold it, but you're like, no, I'm holding the umbrella, right? And so they, they walk with you. Uh, but if they run out into the rain, they're like, why? Why did you let me get wet? You let yourself get wet, Right? I'm standing here with the umbrella, providing shelter, providing dry ground to walk through. You are the one who left, not me. And you're welcome to come back. But as I'm walking along, there's what? There's, there's protection. And when we're in the will of God, when we're doing things God's ways, guess what? We're in the protection of God. 
Now, God's not chasing after us, making sure that we, we have to follow like a helicopter parent. God loves us so much that he lets us walk away. If we're like, no, no, God, I'm gonna do my own thing, he says, okay. But the umbrella I'm gonna stand is right here because my ways never change. My ways are eternal. Before you ever a thought in your mom and dad's head, my ways existed. My ways always have been, always will be. There's no beginning, there is no end. And so when we walk outside of that, we experience the fall. We experience pain. We experience those things. Now, sometimes we get wet in it. I'm not saying being in the world of God is not like white knuckle life living, right? But it's where we're designed to be. And, and God is consistent with his character and God is never going to do something outside of that. So if we want to be like, if we want God to be working and moving in our life, if we're praying things that are inconsistent with that, he's, it's, a, it's a flat no. It's a no for me, dog. Like it's not going to happen because God loves you too much to compromise in his holiness. I'm grateful that we serve a holy God. The second thing we have to ask is, am I trying, or am I asking for God to do something that goes against his timing? Uh, does anyone have any kids in the room, like in the room with them? Okay, you got a young, what's your youngest? What grade? Fifth grade, okay, cool. Hey, um, here's the keys to my car. It's actually Joe's car, no, it's fine, it's mine. Uh, you can have this car, it's black, it's outside. You're willing, you can have it right now, you can go drive it. <laughs> Mom's laughing, right? <laughs> kind of nervous laughter, right? Uh, it's a gift for you, you can have it. I'm, I'm just an illustration, please, I need this car to get home, All right? Uh, how many of you think that's a gift for her? Oh, no one, okay. You think it's pretty cool, right? Maybe, no? I'm embarrassing you, okay, I'll stop. Um, that would be horrible. If you had like a four-year-old, I went next door and I gave him the keys to my car, I said, have fun. Immediately, every parent is on edge. You're gonna follow me after service. No, I'm not doing that. But this isn't a blessing for them. It's actually something really, really dangerous. Now, if you were 18 and had a good driving record and had insurance and were responsible and listened to your mom and dad, and I wanted to be, this is a hypothetical, and I wanted to be generous and give you my car, that would be a gift. If I gave it to you in the wrong season, it would actually endanger your life. But if I gave it to you in the right season, it could actually be an incredible blessing. God's timing is always perfect. God's never been late. He's never been early. He's always perfect. And so we pray and we pray and we pray. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is, is wait. I, I remember in 2019, I've shared this before, but um, this is, if this is your first time at Renovation, hey, welcome. Uh, we're actually one church, two locations. Um, and leadership approached my wife and I about this idea. We, we wanted to start a campus somewhere. Um, and we prayed about it. We prayed about it. We had no idea where it was going to be, what we we're going to do. Uh, it was just, this is the plan. This is not where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. And, um, and we prayed about it and prayed about it, but we did not have like a yes from the Lord. It was just like, eh, I don't know. Um, and they're like, hey, what'd you get? I'm like, I don't know yet. And we kept praying and kept praying. And it was like, they started getting frustrated. It's like, are you just dragging your feet? Do you want to just say yes or no? Pick one. But there was constantly this lack of peace in our hearts about this. And then this thing called COVID happened and would have been horrible to try to launch a church. 
And then through that, and then out of that season, as we were praying and seeking this beautiful thing where two pastors got together and said, hey, what if, what if these two churches became one? And now we are standing in a literal miracle because God's timing is perfect. Because God provided far better than we could have ever asked or imagined. And resounding, the prayer was, was, God, I don't feel like this is your timing, but we want to be found waiting with your yes. And doing things in a whole different way than we ever anticipated. God's timing is always, always perfect. The next thing, third question to ask is, am I asking for something that would rob me of a process? Am I asking for something that would rob me of a process? Sometimes the greatest value is a lesson learned or is, is, is experiencing hardship to develop strength and develop grit. Sometimes the, the greatest thing that you and I can, can gain is a, is a greater dependence upon the Lord, is a greater, like, I, I see God working. I see God moving. David is anointed to be king. He doesn't go sit on a throne. David's anointed to be king. That's like, hey, that's great and fine. Now go back and take care of the sheep. Paul prayed to the Lord three times, take this, take this thorn in my flesh away from me. And three times God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So that's a truth that we get to hold on to. That's a promise that we get to proclaim over our lives, that God's strength is made, his power is made perfect in our weakness. Because the, the, the lesson in this wasn't just freedom from pain, but the, the lesson was, was God's closeness in God's provision. Um, my kids, uh, it's maybe a shocker, they don't enjoy chores. Um, your kids sing, worship, and do their chores. You know, my kids have never been like, oh, I get to do my laundry today? Yes. It's always like, why? You know, it's like because you want to wear clean clothes, don't you? And no, you can't rewear them four times. They have to be washed in between wears. Um, my kids don't enjoy doing chores. But we make them do chores. We make them, like, one, because they live and they need to contribute to the family. But two is because if we always, they said, no, I don't want to do it, I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> one, you're like, this needs to be an intervention right now. Because I know that hard work is going to help build their character. And I know that them contributing and them walking the dog or them picking up something for someone else is going to help build their character because I love them, I'm not going to do their chores for them. And in their brains, they're like, if you love me, you do it for me. I'm no, no, no. Because I love you, I'm not doing it for you. Because I love you, pick up your sister's socks. You, no, you're not going to die, I promise. Pick them up. Why? My job as a parent is not just their comfort. That's not my highest priority. It's not their happiness. I want them to be happy. I want them to be comfortable. I want them to be full of joy. My greatest desire, my greatest motivation is for them to follow Jesus and to be developed into fully devoted followers of him who can do hard things, who do have grit, who know what it means to serve, to love, to care for others. So sometimes our, is what you're praying robbing you of a problem. I know it'd be convenient for you to get a new boss. 
maybe God is wanting to teach you to submit to authority. I know that, that you want the situation to change, but maybe God is wanting you to, to develop that you, you have to rely on him. So in, in, instead of saying, well, God's not answering my prayer. No, no, he is. He, he loves you. He's answering his prayer by getting you to see what he's actually doing. And then lastly, the last question to ask is, do I actually believe that God can do it? Right? It's, I know it's cliche, but we use this, this idea of double-fisted faith of, God, I'm going to believe you to heal, but yet only if it's your will. Right? It's just this, this intersection of, and it's a, it's a legit in, intersection. Like we, we, we believe the Lord to do things according to his will. But the question is, do I actually believe that God can do it? James says, hey, when you pray, when you ask God for wisdom, when you pray, don't, don't, don't like waffle. Don't, don't kind of, uh, I don't know if he can. It's like, a, it's like a wave that's tossed around the ocean. Do you actually believe that resurrection power that we just got to declare and sing, that, that the resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that, that we have inside of through the Holy Spirit. He said, you'll do even greater things that we literally can see God do miracles in us and through us for his glory. Do we actually believe it? I saw this really cool story that has been passed around that um, there was a, a missionary in Africa who uh, uh, he helped be, he was a doctor at a field hospital in, hospital in remote Africa. And, Twice, or every two weeks, he would take a two-day journey into the major city. He would camp out one night overnight in the jungle, um, and then he would go into the city and buy supplies and medicine and everything they needed to operate the, the hospital. Um, and on his way, uh, he was just about to leave the city, and he purchased all of his stuff, and he noticed two guys were, uh, were beating up another guy. And so he ran over there, and he kind of helped break things up and bandaged the guy's wounds and took care of them. Um, and two weeks later, when he came back to the same city, um, this guy said, hey, I feel like I'm going to tell you this, that, that the other day or last two weeks ago, my buddies and I, we, we always know that you carry drugs and money, uh, the good kind. And he said, we, we had planned to, to follow you into the jungle and to rob you. He said, but that night while you were spending the night in the jungle around the campfire, we, we crept in to to rob you, and we noticed there was 26 armed guards around you, and so we were terrified, and so we didn't leave. The missionary was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was all by myself. They're like, no, no, we saw 26 armed men surrounding you, armed guards, and so we were fearful, and we didn't attack. So fast forward, this missionary is back at home in Michigan telling his home church this exact story, and a gentleman stood up in the middle of it and interrupted and said, Excuse me, I need to know what was the exact date and time that that happened. And the missionary recalled it and he told him, and the gentleman that stood up finished the story for him. He said, on that day, when it was nighttime in Africa, it was daytime here in Michigan. And I was on the golf course and I was taking a putt and I had this urge to pray for you. And the urge to pray for you was so strong, I actually got up and I left the golf course and I called some men from the church to get together and to pray. And he said, would, every, would all of the men who I called that day who prayed, would you please stand up right now? And the missionary wasn't concerned with who it was, but he was busy counting. 26 men stood up. 
Do we believe that God cares enough about us, that God is powerful enough to move on our behalf? That God does things that we can't understand or even begin to comprehend, but we know he's a perfect father who fights for his children, who loves his children, who provides for his children. We trust that he would do more than we can imagine. I'll wrap up with Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us as well, for us all, won't he also give up everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Well, who then will condemn us? No one. For, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is seated in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? If the things that we beg and we plead God to move, if we experience those things, does it mean that God is not for us? He's like, no. He lists them out. In, in fact, it's, it's not. Those things don't separate us from God's love. Those things don't prove that, that God isn't listening and that God isn't for us. He's like, no, no, no. They actually prove that he is. Because if you experience those, you realize that they don't, they don't separate you from God. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are... Uh, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That right there is what we call a promise. That it doesn't matter what we experience if the facts at the end of the day is that nothing, no heights, no depths, no powers, no forces, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ that is found in Christ Jesus. And we see that, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father pleading for us. Other translations use that word intercessing for us. The word literally means the bringing together of two parties. Meaning, we didn't have means to be able to get together with God, but Jesus does, does and does. I can't, wow. That's some, that's some grammar right there. Jesus does and did. That he is the one interceding for us, bringing us into right relationship with, with God, our Heavenly Father. Meaning that every word we speak in prayer will never fall on deaf ear. He's pleading for us, that he is with us. So I pray that in this, that if you're in a season where you've been praying and believing and you haven't seen God move yet, 
Maybe ask yourself some questions. We see, Lord, what, what are you actually doing in this? And the beautiful thing is that the more we ask, the more we seek, the more we knock, the more we pursue him, we find him. He is the giver of all good things. He is the provider. He is the protector. He is a source of everything that you and I need. And if nothing can separate us, then surely whatever situation, whatever circumstance we go through is not far from the reach of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your constant pursuit of us. God, even though we go astray and we rebel and we do our own thing, you never change. You were constant. And God, if the, if the greatest thing that could ever happen in us praying over and over and over again is to deepen our relationship with you, then any season we walk through is worth it. Because God, you are the highest prize. You are the highest goal. In you, we find joy. In you, we find peace. In you, we find contentment. In you, we find provision and protection. God, in you, we find everything. So if our searching leads us to you, then we've found it. So Lord, give us the faith to believe you to do what only you can do the resolve to trust you with the process, the confidence in knowing that even when you say no, it is your kindest possible answer. God, help us to be people who pray. Lord, who walk with you, who trust you, who know you. And that, Father, that we would see you not just change our circumstances, but change the world around us in the process. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your mighty and holy and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Church, we love you. As we said, we'll have prayer team right here afterwards. If you want prayer for anything, we would love and be honored to pray with you. Church, we love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.